Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 130 of the North Meet South Web Podcast. Okay, I am looking up what I was going to talk about. So this is North Meet South. Welcome. If you haven't been here before, this is me and Michael separated by 14 and a half hours of time who are talking about web development stuff from opposite sides of the world. I'm from central Illinois. Michael's from uh, Brisbane, Australia. Just kidding. <laughs> Southern, Adelaide. Southern Australia. Adelaide, Australia. And uh, we're glad you could join us on the show today. So we just pick random topics, right? And we talk about what we want to talk about. And today I would like to talk about documentation. Yes, let's um, do that. That's good because that's on on like my mind as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we actually were just, I was talking with some of the IT guys today. Uh, promoted one of our guys to a IT supervisor. And one of the things that uh, the dudes that were on the team said, they were like, great, this is excellent. We really think we could do a better job documenting stuff. Hopefully this gives us some capacity to be able to do some of that stuff. And I'm like, yep, great idea. We're actually talking about this in our dev team as well. Like, how do we document all the decisions that we're making about these different really nuanced, I don't know, processes and how these particular things work and, you know, how do we determine what a customer reference code is? And, you know, how do we, what, what heuristic did we use to determine uh, when to, I don't know, you know, just like there's all sorts of different decisions that we made, right? So there's, there's that. There's things like, hey, when we do this uh, one SOC 2 audit that we do, there's always this piece of software they have to run called Scout Suite. And it's always a pain in the butt to get it set up, but we figured mm-hmm. out how to run it. And here's the steps that we need to do to reproduce that next year when we have to run it again. Or here is a troubleshooting guide. When this particular failed job happens, here's how you need to go handle that. You have to go log into this live right. box system. You have to go click this contacts button. Then you have to go find the one that looks, you know, there's a space in the name and it's because their API is jacked. And so you got to go fix it this way, right? So there's all sorts of different types of documentation. And how do you, how do you do it? Where do you do it? All those things, right? So I've, I've got some interesting things to talk about. We could also just talk about too, what tools are available and what are some of the ways that some people are documenting some of these things? Um, maybe some of the ways that you're doing it right now. I can tell you how we're doing it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but since I've, since I started talking, maybe you can uh, jump in and kind of give your perspective on this while I get some water and ice. Go ahead. Yeah. So we, I think as an organization, at least insofar as the organizations that I have worked at over my career, we do a very good job at documentation. Our CTO kind of leads that from the from the front in in that they um they document everything. They're very good about documenting um you know our database structures and our flows and um you know how to get our environment set up and things like that. And and like like all things, documentation can sometimes fall by the wayside. And like some things are not necessarily correct. Like if you don't set up the application from scratch all the time. Then if things change over time, you might miss steps and things like that. So it's a it's a really proactive thing. Documentation is ever living, I think, in an organization level. And so if you're making changes, you kind of need to remember to update the documentation as you go. And when we add new artisan commands and things like that that are used as supporting stuff for our apps, we have to, you know, go and update them. I think the main thing that we have is that we've got some docs are in Google Drive, some docs are in um, ClickUp, which is our project management tool. Developer documentation is part of our repository. Um, And then we've got like our API docs that are part of that as well. So there's like four different places to put those docs. And it's the, the thing that's always like in my head is 
like you don't really want to, to maintain your own thing because it's all internal docs. So we're using La Recipe mm. for all of our like application documentation. But then there's, as I said, there's stuff in Google Docs. Some of that has come from like um, Draw or, you know, that design thing that that's used to do like UML diagrams and to, to model okay, um, sure. relationships and things like that. So, you know, use that. Um, and that's in to, your Google Docs, you said? Right, yeah. So we, we use that, whatever that tool is, to, to generate them. And then we export a PDF and then we put that in Google Docs. But then, like, Google Docs is not the best for, like, finding things. And, you you know, you need to know what it's called. And then there's revisions in there, like, this is what it was before and this is the current version yeah. and things mm-hmm. like that. So um, my my biggest thing about documenting is always, like, what tool do you use? Like, do you want to rely on a third party? Like, what if that third party goes away? I know Jira or Confluence, you know, Atlassian has been around forever. Google Docs is probably not going to go anywhere, but it's not the best for technical documentation, I don't think, especially in terms of like discovery and and, and that kind of stuff. Um, that is the one big thing too, is the discovery aspect of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So th- I think those are the three big things. There's disco- discovery of the documentation, there's keeping the documentation up to date and like where you put them. Um, you know, the Laravel docs are a fantastic example of things that are that are comprehensive and they're easy to find. But, you know, everyone's going to the Laravel docs to get the documentation for Laravel. In 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 an internal organization, like where does that live? You know, in a Microsoft-based org, everything might be in SharePoint, you know. But it, it's the scatter. And and it's like we don't really have a place, like a manual for our app. Well, actually, number one, we don't have an annual a manual for our app necessarily. If we develop a new feature, we kind of do you show guys that... just have a single app? Do you guys just have like a majestic monolith, like one big app? Well, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's split across a back end and a front end, but it's it's one okay. app. Um, there's like other sure. bits and pieces that have kind of been sticking around on the side from you know past past versions of our app. Um, but I think like our support team is responsible for the documentation, so we'll build it and we'll say like, here you go, this is how you use it, and then they're responsible for customer facing docs and things like that. So it's a bit disjointed it's a it's a it's a whole of organization process like we document the code but we don't necessarily document how to use the ui that's part of like a teaching process our product people teach our support people and our support people do the documentation they do videos and training materials and things like that so we've got yeah that's a great idea we've got like this because like that division of labor because we're an aggregator of of financial services um we we kind of have like an education is part of our thing. So if we're onboarding new brokers to our platform, then we take them through, you know, how to use the platform. There's like a half day training thing that we put them through. We've got documentation, all that kind of stuff. So it's quite comprehensive on that side of things, which is which is fantastic for our users, but it's, you know, it's less comprehensive from, from development. And so we just had a new head of engineering start three or four weeks ago and we had another okay. another senior developer start here in, I think, September they started. And so it's like, that kind of documentation that, you know, where's the onboarding stuff? Where's the how to set up the repo? How to set up the apps? Where is it? Like those kinds of things that I've always been a bit iffy about, like where to document them. Um, I hate Confluence. I've been in organizations that have used Confluence before and it's just, it's nasty because like the, if it doesn't have Markdown, I hate it basically. <laughs> I hate using the, the GUIs yeah. and like mm-hmm. anything that's got its own bespoke formatting uh, is is annoying to use. ClickUp is okay, but it's also again, anything, it's a also discovery anything where thing. you can't just copy and paste an image in. That's always painful too. Yeah. Like I hate it when you can't just drop an image in or an right. MP4 or anything like that, right? Yeah. So yeah, I, back to those three things. It's it's discovery, it's keeping it up to date, and it's where to put it. Other three, yeah, the three right. main things. And I think you have to kind of like so the first thing you have to decide is 
what type of documentation goes where, right? Like you have to organize that. So like if we just kind of zeroed in on one type of thing just to start out with, because it's a large, large, large group of, you know, there's a lot of things we could go with. If we just zoom in on developer documentation for a particular application, right? So I guess if we're talking about how to get set up with a particular application, that would probably live most often in the readme, right? That's that's where you'd expect to find that sort of information. Yeah. Like, hey, here's how you're going to go ahead and get started. Some people will kind of opt to say each one of our applications, if you're going to have a lot of them, there's going to have a setup.sh file that you run. And that setup.sh file is responsible for making sure that you have a database that matches the type of database that we're expecting. It sort of does all that stuff for you. It says, make sure, you know, like you said, um, it's like setting up an app from scratch. Like if you were to pull it down from a repo and you have nothing set right. up, it's going to do copy env.example to .env. It's going to change uh, or it's going to do key generate. Then it's going to check to see if you have a database called my app. And then if you don't have one, it's going to go ahead and create one. Mm-hmm. And it's going to PHP artisan migrate seed. Then it's going to, you know, whatever, a couple yeah. of things, you know, NPM CI and then NPM uh, run build, uh, et cetera, right? Yeah, Post this install. is where it's useful there to have There's... like a, a shell script. Like I did when I did some freelance work for you, the first thing I did was get all that set right. up. Exactly. And you're like, yep. run this script. And and that's when you find that like w- people are not being constantly onboarded. You might hire a new developer every six months or every three months if you're yeah. lucky. Yeah. And so you know, a lot can change in an app in three months where you kind of like add some other step or there's some other piece that comes in there. And if you don't, as part of doing that, also make it part of your process to update that setup script, then the next time you onboard a developer and they run it and then something's missing and they may not notice, it may not be critical to the application necessarily or the part of the application that they're working on. So it might be another three months, you know, before someone comes to that. So yeah, that that's the keeping things up to date. Um, and like I did the same thing yeah. when I started where I am now in, you know, getting that setup script run, running through the steps. Okay, this is missing. So I'm going to update that. Um, the way the way that I do review, I think we've talked about this before. I, I use Git work trees so I can have like multiple copies of the same repository checked out I in different branches yeah. at the same time. Um, and like I don't do that for everything. It depends on what I'm reviewing. Like I've got master checked out and that's always master. And then if I'm reviewing people's code, it, it allows me to like isolate the database. So if I'm working on a new feature over here and then I need to check out a pull request to review someone else's work over there and they've, they've got migrations, like I'm not polluting my database in my feature with their new tables or whatever else. And, it, and then you get like these inconsistencies between like different composer dependencies and different states of the code and different states of the database. And then you've got to like blow away your database and start again. So it's really useful in that regard, but it means like you're, you're constantly doing this setup. So I, I have like a shell script that's that's like, it's called works. So I go, you know, dot slash work dot sh, I give it the branch name and I give it a local directory in, in my work tree. And what that does is it'll go and fetch the branch from remote. It'll make sure it's up to date. It'll go and create that locally. It'll check everything out. It'll run Composer install. It'll run the migrations. It'll, it'll create the database, run the migrations, like all of this stuff. And because I'm doing it so regularly, you know, I have to keep that up to date. Otherwise, my stuff's not going to work. Um, but I don't like necessarily think we've got something in the in the repo that's like a setup script. I find those things always useful, especially if you've got like a complex application. Um, you know, and a lot of that can be solved by Docker if you're Dockerizing your your application. 
But that's like another thing, depending on the size of your organization, if you're not using Docker, it's, you know, you've got to then say, okay, we're going to use Docker, but also then you've got to get everyone on board. You've got to like change people's development flows and things like that as well. So yeah, um, yeah it's and it, like in development, not it's not one size fits all. We're not all doing things exactly the same way. We're not all using Docker. Like a lot of people are using Valet. Some people are just using PHP Artisan Serve. Like, you know, it depends on the complexity of your application and, and, and what, you know, suits you. Artisan Serve is great if you just, if, you, if you're if you using, I don't want to say it, like it's not a simple app because I know like Taylor's mentioned before that he uses Artisan Serve and he's doing things like Vapor and, you know, well, probably Vapor is a bad example, but Forge and, and whatever it is he's building, you know, it's it's a basic app in insofar as it's Laravel, PHP, MySQL, you know, those three things and you just run it. And in most situations, like you can get away with SQLite. There is some, I try and avoid using SQLite just because there's enough differences that you can get yourself in trouble. Agreed. Like at the last minute, you know, you go to deploy and you find that you've done something that like works in, in SQLite, but doesn't work in MySQL. So I, yep, I, yep, I yep, tend yep, to avoid that, that. And like, it, uh, don't get me wrong, it's totally fine to, to do that in most situations. But, you know, at a at a certain size, you want to make sure that, you know, whilst you may be running it, using valet locally and you're you're containerizing in production you still want to have it like close to the final you know you want to try and have feature a uh, uh, production development parity as much as possible insofar as like the technology stack docker doesn't really affect that as much as as you know using postgres or sqlite locally in mysql production like that's going to be problematic for you yeah so so I'm going to loop us back here because so, you know, I understand that what we're talking about here is like getting uh, getting developers onboarded and, and not stuff. So, you know, if we're talking about just like strictly talking about documentation here, we would say that when we're talking about getting an app started, we would say that that probably belongs in the readme of the application itself committed to the repository. Hey, here's how you get this system up and running. Um, you know, step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this you know, here are the things that you're going to need to know in order to be able to get this application running. Um, so that that's sort of contained in the readme. Now, the next question is, let's say that outside of that, you have something like, okay, you need to add a new type of um, lender, right? Let's let's say that like, so this, there's you, and there's five other people on the team. Right. And you guys have this sort of convention that you've worked out for how you have these different lenders and how you integrate with their APIs and things like that. Right. Um, so you have specific naming schemes and maybe you have even created like a custom artisan command that will sort of scaffold this out. So that sort of how to guide or something like that for here's how to add a lender when you need to add a lender because you've you've architected it in a way that allows you to be able to add new lenders in the future. That's how you've built it so that it's easy to add it. Yeah. How do you, where, where do you house something like that, which says, Hey, in the case that you want to add a new lender, here's how you do that. Here's the steps to make that happen. Where do you put that? I've got an opinion about this, by the way, but I'm, I'm curious in your head. <laughs> it's, it's in, it's in the wrong place. I'll tell you. Um, and this is the thing like, so this, so if I'm, yeah. So like, so like if you had to solve this problem today, if one of your developers said, I have some really good documentation on how exactly we would add a lender and mm-hmm. I want to have somewhere to put it, where should I put it, Michael? Where yeah. should I put that? So, where, what so would you... For that kind of stuff, we've got LaRecipe, which is um, 
Le recipe, we, like I think we've talked about it on the Revon News. It's it's basically like you write Markdown, and then yeah, it, I've seen it. It looks really it good. Then, and then it bundles it all together into an app. So that we have that for developer documentation. Um, and Does that I, live inside of the application itself? That is part of the app repository. Yeah. So we've got that okay um, protected. So it's not available. It's only available in local environments. But it's always there as part okay. of the app, um, and we like we sure. exclude so it from whenever the anybody downloads the repo. Okay, you exclude it from the deployment. Okay, yeah, um, but that that's where we would put that kind of stuff. You know, how to create a new lender, how to you know what what is the structure of like the database, where are all these things. Um, at the moment, it's in my head that may be something that I'll document over the Christmas New Year break because okay, we're going to have so, more lenders. So you have how to add a new lender, and that goes into the La Recipe, and again. The recipe is basically a markdown flavor. Uh, it also allows for images and things like that. Um, images, yeah. code blocks. Yeah, I mean, we don't, animation we don't really include throw it in there. Yeah, we don't really include any images or anything like that. But I guess, yeah, that would get, get included as like markdown, you know, what is it? Bang, square brackets, and then path to image in the repository somewhere. You just have to throw it in there. Okay, okay, so fair enough. All right, so then how about something like here is a flow of how we typically go about getting an information from the getting information from a lender and how we then take that information that comes back and we cast that into a DTO that we then pass through to our you know I don't know middleware that then mm-hmm. presents it to our friend you know that sort of thing that that sort of flow chart for like okay Step one, somebody requests a new lending quote. And so step two, we look at all the lenders that match the type of quote that they're looking for. And then we make a request to go get lending, uh, you know, quotes for all of these particular lenders. And then mm-hmm. we transform them all. And then we feed them all back to this report and then spits out in emails, whatever. That flow chart, where does mm-hmm. that live? Does that also live in the recipe? No. So that that stuff lives at a higher level of like business level documentation that kind of Okay. Talks about all of that stuff. So that's the stuff that we diagram that we put into Google Docs at the moment. Okay. So that's where you get some of that like scattering, right? That fracturing of like that documentation. Yeah. Like where yeah. does it live? Like, well, now it no longer lives in the recipe. It now lives mm-hmm. somewhere else. Although I would say that those two pieces of information, like how to create a new lender and sort of like how we actually get the information from a lender is semi-closely related. Yeah. You know what I mean? Correct. Like you would almost expect to find those things in the same place. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, It's just that like this is the unfortunate thing that I haven't actually found anything really that is good for for both of those scenarios. I agree that they should be mm-hmm. together because, you know, that you need to know all of that stuff, you know, adding a new lender and how how an application flows through the system are certainly closely related enough to how the system functions. It's just that the recipe is not really a good place for it in the same way that Agreed. that Google Docs is not a good place for the developer documentation. Totally. Exactly right. Like the authoring experience in Google Docs for development stuff is is not good. Like you can't put code blocks in there. You can't, you know, there's no markdown. There's, there's no, there's no, no way all, to put all, like navigation stuff on the right. side. Yeah, exactly. You can't organize it like you would organize like a, a, a set of documentation, right? It's like it's one off docs. I mean, you can group them together by by, you know, folders or something like that. But how do you how do you put all that information, you know, it, it together like that? So the other thing too is like I make copious, is that right? Is that the word? Copious use of flowcharts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And so I, I really love me a good flow chart for me, like the visual documentation of how that of how a process goes. What are you using to generate flow charts? Right now I'm using Whimsical. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I use Whimsical, which I really like. I think it actually gives you a it's I like it because I can move really quickly in it. It gives me everything mm-hmm. I need and not a lot that I don't. Um, it's also actually really good for quick browser mockups, like just UI mockups. So nothing too high fidelity, but just, hey, I want a a box here, an input here, sort of do I get the affordances that I need in order to be able to move a user from one spot to the next spot without it being too confusing, right? So I like it for that too. So like I've used it for those things. But the, um, the challenge with these things is always, number one, how do you put them into a document um, you know, is it, is it a PDF that you're capturing? Is it an image that you're capturing? And then if it is, how do you provide an editable format so that when it does change, eventually you don't have to create it from scratch every time. Right. And so I used to use a tool called Gliffy, which was really cool. And it was just a free tool, but you could actually download a .gliffy from it. And so in some of my repositories, I have a readme resources folder that I just dropped the Glyphies into. So I'll have like a Glyphy and then a JPEG in there. So it has both of them. It has like, here's the JPEG version of, so you can just view it quickly. And then here's the Glyphy in the case that you need to regenerate this in the future. You could just open the Glyphy doc and Glyphy and then modify it, right? The other thing that's interesting with flowcharts, which I've not spent a ton of time, but I feel like this is something that would be really interesting is Mermaid JS. So GitHub now will yeah, yeah. interpret like those Mermaid Mermaid JS flowcharts, which if I could figure out how to make a flowchart of any complexity with Mermaid JS, I would probably kind of go that route. And then I would just keep all of my stuff in there. You know, for me, the general feeling is that I would really like to keep all of the documentation co-located with the code that it's written with. That would be really great because I could just link to you know, hey, go see this file in the repository. This is the location of the file that you need to go see in order to be able to reference or change this in the future, you know? And so and so that that's sort of like my feeling is like, I would love to be able to keep them inside, inside the repository. Okay, so if I'm sacrificing that though, if I'm sacrificing the ability of like keeping it in the repository and I'm just looking for like, what's the next place, best place that allows me to quickly create documentation uh, and flow charts and et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't necessarily have to be co-located. You do have another set of tools like you have like Obsidian or you have Notion or you have mm-hmm. all those other things, right? Confluence for that matter. You could have uh, any of those. What's your take on that stuff? I know you said before, like you really don't like Confluence, but what's your take on that stuff? Yeah. I mean, it depends on who's writing this documentation. If it's exclusively developer documentation, you can make some assumptions about the best tool because, you know, quote, unquote, all developers can write Markdown. They can all learn Mermaid, right? If you need to start involving business people in the process, that gets a bit trickier because maybe the business people aren't going to learn Mermaid. They want to go to something like Whimsical or they want to go to, um, you know, whatever diagramming tool they're using that might be using you know microsoft visio for example and then they you know generate the documents however they document them pdf them and then put them into the the application that way the other thing that kind of makes me nervous like i know github supports mermaid.js and now that we're after all of this time like all of my development career i'm actually at an organization where we're using git github thank god it's um making the pr 
process so much nicer than than Bitbucket or GitLab ever did. It means that I, I still get nervous about like what if we leave, you know, using these third party services. What what if you leave, and then you've got all that document? Like you, could, we could decide today. Okay, we're going to use GitHub Wiki in our repository to document all that stuff, and so we start putting Mermaid JS in there and whatever else. And that's probably fine because you could you could extract all of that later if you ever needed to move away. But you would then have all of this markdown documentation, which would probably be okay in ninety five percent of situations. You know, you could just pull it all down, and then you could use something to then reformat that into HTML and, and include it as part of the repository. So that's always a thing. I and but that 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 could be the same for any tool, whether you're using Notion or Obsidian or, um, you know markdown somewhere or confluence like there's always the possibility that you you leave those systems all of these all of these project management tools that receive you know hundreds of millions of dollars of founding that everyone was jumping on because they were being marketed to on facebook and wherever else you know they could all go away one day you know they go bankrupt or go out of business or get acquired or, or whatever um and then you know you still end up in those situations we have to move so you know it doesn't matter where it is the possibility is always there i think github is probably great in that you know now that microsoft owns it you know there was some angst about that when microsoft bought them back then but now you know we're seeing microsoft is done great things with github github's better than it they've had missteps in terms of like how they're you know possibly misusing ai and and whatever else but broadly speaking it's um it's a, it's a solid tool and you probably wouldn't see yourself leaving it at, at any point in the future but again you're not going to have like we have the whole business contributing to different parts of documentation. So, you know, not everyone is going to use GitHub. The 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 customer-facing documentation is going to be done by a support team and that's going to go into some kind of LMS, like a learning, learning management system or something like that. So I think there's always a situation where the documentation is going to be split. It's It's the gray areas that kind of need to be accounted for. In terms of like what could be documented, like I could I could develop a new feature, write some documentation that is for how to develop with that feature, but also some high level like how does this work from a support perspective. The support people might iterate on that, but then generate their own doc- documentation for our customers. So yeah, that's that's and then you know adding seats to GitHub just for people who would maybe every now and then refer to the documentation is probably not ideal either. But I think. For the for the most part, we're using ClickUp a lot in terms of documenting. I suppose ClickUp gets used less around documentation once a feature is shipped, and more around the scoping and requirements and and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I don't I don't know that there's a solution. I would yeah, be keen I, if if people have something for that for us, though. Sorry, folks. Yeah, I was gone for a quick second. Uh, I actually got a call from our um, alarm company at work. <laughs> So I had to go check it like, uh, is everything all right over there? So it looks like everything is good. I, I think our cleaning team, our cleaning crew came in and faulted the alarm off. So whatever. Anyway, so I missed a lot of what you were saying. But um, yeah, I, I did hear some of that. And I heard you talking about ClickUp. Uh, so we just use, and I know that like previously you guys, or, or you guys might be in the process of transitioning over to GitHub from GitLabs or something like that. Oh, we're, so, all, we're all GitHub now, baby. You GitHub now, yeah. So, so you know, for us, like um, GitHub is our ClickUp, I suppose, right? That's where we discuss 
you know, that's that's where we discuss all of the issues of about what what the feature is that we're trying to develop and all that stuff, and any discussion that needs to go on around that, um, and then all the pull request changes and stuff. Obviously, uh, are documented yeah. in, that, so, in the pull request and things like that. But so, like, so, so for where example, do you go then? Yeah, go ahead. Where do you go? Because you have that documentation in GitHub, but you, yeah. as like the technology le- leader, I suppose, you are having conversations with the business like with stakeholders yes, in the yes. business to figure mm-hmm. out what actually goes in there so mm-hmm. where are those those conversations being documented basically the conversations that i'm having with like uh business uh, you know like business leads that sort of stuff yeah 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 so like for that like uh you know th- a lot of those conversations aren't necessarily all 100 all the all the details of those conversations aren't necessarily relevant for for the conversations for the developers so a lot of times if i have a conversation like that like that information will go into like a notion document i'll just i'll just you know pop up in a notion document when i'm having a meeting i'll just kind of take scratch notes there and then i will mm-hmm. you know scope sort of the feature a bit in my head and then discuss it with the developers and we'll write up a, a spec as an issue right and a lot of times i'll yeah. even break it down into phases and say okay phase 1 is this phase 2 is this phase 3 is this phase 4 is this phase 5 phase 5 is this let's let's ship one let's what's ship one phase at a time, at a time just to make sure that mm-hmm. we are staying on track instead of like saying let's bite off a huge chunk here let's like take a little bit of the time get each piece done. And then if we need to adjust course as we go, let's go ahead and do that. So I typically write that up in an issue and then I assign that to them in a GitHub project uh, that we kind of monitor that, you know, we can, we can see here's the things that are on this person's list and, um, and then they can track, they can track through that. And then each day, each morning we have a standup where we kind of talk through, Hey, here's, here's the items that are on your list. Let's prioritize them in this order for the day and then check in with mm-hmm. me as you need to. So that's that's kind of yeah. how we do that. But um, you know, the nice thing is if we need to, I do like that in GitHub because again, it's kind of all, sort of all living in the same platform. If I do a Git blame, I can see here's the person who changed it, here's the pull request they changed it on. So I can go see all the related code and then I can go see the issue too, which is like here was the reason mm-hmm. for the change. So like I do like that, which yeah. is good. But a lot of times even that isn't necessarily um, you know, it could it could be a bit cumbersome to get all the way through there so yeah i, I like your yeah. idea of the recipe I, I think we may maybe for especially for our bigger ones our bigger um repositories it's sort of like we're a little bit between like you know, sometimes we try and cram it all in the readme which i'm like i hate that idea and then yeah it's like you know sometimes we've used wikis like we'll use the wiki sometimes but that's not consistent and that's actually really terrible search the search is not great yeah. on on the wiki side of things for github uh, let's see what else have we done. Oh, like sometimes depending, like if there's a package that we have that we're creating and you need to upgrade something between versions, I'll have like an upgrading.md document that'll say like, if you're upgrading from this one to this one, then do this. So, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't have a great consistent way to do it yet. I, I don't have, you know, and and really as far as like the, you know, you had talked about your user facing documentation we're horrible mm-hmm. at that. We we've got none of that. Like I, I like yeah. the only people who do that are our training teams who train our people, who onboard our people. And I've literally just completely punted that to them. Like, hey, you guys want something? Like you you know the tools, you use them, you guys figure out how to write your own training guides for that stuff. Which isn't probably a great way to do it, but that's kind of how it <laughs> that's kind of how it is right now. So anyway, yeah, I there's I don't there is a difference definitely between the user facing documentation and the developer facing documentation. And right now, 
just uh, complete complete transparency, our documentation is a hot mess. Uh, I feel like yeah. we do a really, really good job. Every pull request is, you know, like every pull request is reviewed. Every pull, Almost every pull request has an issue attached to it. So like, that's all good. I, I like that side of it. But as far as like how we're doing a transfer of knowledge once the feature is completed, yeah, we're not doing we're not yeah, doing a great flat. job at that. Yeah, we. I mean, as developers, I think generally we spend a lot of time on the, the the bits at the start to make sure we build the right thing, and then after that, it kind of falls falls on its face. Um, yeah. I, I I wish that we were better. Like we do lots of the upfront stuff, and it's all in ClickUp, right? But if we get a bug. <laughs> This is funny. We're changing this at the moment into like a proper ticketing system, but because we're using the Meta Work Meta Workplace oh, for all okay. of our stuff, How do you um, like that, by we've way? got like. Hey, I mean, it's fine. I only really use it for chat, but we you should be using Work Vivo. We, use it for, <laughs> we should. We should be. Um, so we should be using something. Um, at the moment, we're just using like IT. We we've got an IT help desk group in. Um, in workplace and so that's where people will report issues and then so we'll then go and create tickets in inside of ClickUp, and then we'll go and do our work so we don't we're not we've only just moved over to github in the last two weeks so we're not using issues at all um we've got like datadog set up now so it's doing all of our tracing and logging and error reporting and things like that so we're gonna we're gonna leverage that and get that to start creating issues because for you know, undefined variables, incorrect types, all of that kind of stuff. Like those, we can then create issues and then we can do fixes related to those issues so that, you know, we've got that tracking. Um, Because usually when I get a bug report from someone, I don't go and create a ticket to fix it. I go and fix it. So there's no, like there's no record of that conversation outside of chat. There's no, you know, why did we do this? It's, you know, so it would be nice to to, to have that record for for bug fixes and things like that. Um, miscellaneous cleanup we don't you know we don't clean create issues to say like i need to do this thing and then go and do it yeah, and, then, and then close the issue so but all of all of our like new work all of our feature work all of our um you know bigger pieces of work go through ClickUp, and so there's that process where a ticket gets created and and all of that is all linked up as far as our pull requests go but yeah the, the smaller stuff doesn't and and so that's something that you know we'll look to change over the coming weeks as we get deeper into into this process of of being fully in the uh, the GitHub way of thinking at last. One of the things I actually found um, that I think it was actually from a Laracon online talk a while back. Um, I think it was in like summer of 21. It was like writing delightful documentation. But I think somebody mm-hmm. linked up and there's this divio.com documentation. And so they talk about the documentation system. And this, this is basically what it says. I'll link up there. I think I might've linked you an article. Hold on. Did I link it to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I've got, I've got a link here. Yeah. Yep. And it says, uh, there's a secret that needs to be understood in order to write good software documentation. There isn't one thing called documentation. There are four. So they have these four quadrants. And these four quadrants are sort of broken up by these axes, which is like you have practical steps, uh, so like on the on the the y axis the up and down axis at the top you have practical steps and at the bottom you have theoretical knowledge so like these are steps to accomplish something and these are things that are like you're not necessarily practically accomplishing something through steps but it's like this is information that you need to know and then on the x axis from left to right on the left hand side you have 
this is most useful when I'm studying. And on the right, you have this is most useful when I'm working. So you have those two axes, and it sort of splits up this system into four quadrants. So in the top left, you have tutorials, which is these are practical steps that are most useful when I'm studying. So here's a tutorial, mm -hmm. right? In the top right, you have practical steps that are most useful when I'm working. This is a how-to guide, right? So mm -hmm. here's how you step one, step two, step three. Here's how you create a new lender, right? Uh, the bottom left is explanation. So this is understanding oriented. You're studying and it's theoretical knowledge. This is why we do this. This is an explanation of something, right? And then most useful when we're working, theoretical knowledge, this is like reference, right? These are reference materials that you might want to go look at if we're talking about how do we do, how do we uh, format our arrays, right? What's our code style, right? It's not a how-to guide, mm -hmm. but it's a reference piece of information, right? Yeah. So recognizing that and then sort of splitting your documentation along these axes sort of lets you place where could, where could I expect as a developer to find this? Where, where is it? I'm working right now. Okay, so I could expect to find this either in a reference material or a how-to guide. All right, so I'm going to go look there. That's where that stuff is. Now, if I'm looking for like mm. a flow chart, that's probably going to be over in like the explanation, right? I'm studying how to do this thing and it's theoretical knowledge, right? So I'm going to go look for the flow chart over in here. And this is kind of where we house that type of documentation. So I think if you kind of can organize things along those axes and then maybe you don't have to have a one-stop solution for all the things, but if you kind of use that, you would at least know generally, this is where I would look to find this. If it exists, it's going to exist over here. So I know, I know that we're yeah, running like a little... Yeah, we're we're running a little late on the on the show here, but maybe we could talk about this a little bit more. Um, you know, both of us implement a couple ideas that we're looking at this for the next couple of weeks, and then we can come back yeah. and talk about anything that we've tried. I'm gonna try La Recipe. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um I think what you and I are both gonna find is we're gonna get stuck in this yak shaving scenario where we're trying to build some tool <laughs> to display our documentation and not actually right. spend any time writing documentation. Yeah. The biggest thing for me is like uh, flow charts, flow charts. You know, like I really love flowcharts. I need to find a great way to like share those, but also make them editable. And then, um, you know, I, I think the recipe is good. I, I need to be able to like how to guides and stuff like that. I, I don't have any place for that right now. So yeah, uh, perfect. Be good. All right, man. Yeah, well, I'm gonna hey. I'm gonna read through this. We'll we'll include a link to this in in the show notes. The documentation yeah. system stuff from Divio. I think. You know, just just having this as and and it like totally makes sense that to, to separate these things into those four quadrants. Um, you know, how to guides and tutorials for for you know customer facing stuff, and then explanation references for developers. I wanna I wanna start doing like lunch and learns or brown paper bag days or whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. with the team just to kind of do some upskilling. We've talked about um, you know jumping into Laracast, looking at the the from scratch stuff, looking at we as part of the the Black Friday Cyber Monday sales, we we bought a bunch of reference materials, the some of the stuff from Sparsi around writing readable PHP and I think it was Laravel Beyond Crud was the other one that we picked up for the team to to check out. So, you know, all of these kinds of things to, just to do like a broader upskilling. Um and then we can sort of dig into like when I when I come in and I like do this beautifully architected thing and I'm like, this is amazing. And then everyone kind of looks at it and goes, I, I don't understand why all these classes are empty and just extending from all these other places. So uh, <laughs> it'd be nice to, to provide some more context around that. So yeah, I'll, uh, I'll include a link to this. I, I'm uh, keen to to at least attempt to keep on, on top of documentation. Yeah. And I think too, it's like, uh, one thing that's really good about this is it it doesn't just leave you with that. It basically says, here's how you write a good tutorial. Here's how you write a good how-to guide. Here's how you write a good yeah. reference guide. 
here's how you write a good explanation. And they give analogies from each and they say, do this, don't do this, right? And so this system is not new. Uh, there is like a video presentation on it as well from like 2017 from Python Con, PyCon Australia 2017. So uh, it's, a good, it's a good resource, I think, to get started. Somebody spent a lot of time thinking about this. And so let's uh, stand on the shoulders of giants as it were. All right, this is episode 130. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, if you like the show, rate it up in your podcast of choice. Five stars is appreciated. You can find show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash 130. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael DeWinda, or at North South Audio. Until next time, folks, we'll see you later. Bye.